0: going to continue in my series on spiritual giftedness. And the message is this, the series title is this, God's people are spiritually gifted. We're talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit, who lives in our hearts as believers, brings into our lives all the potential capacity of his divine ability. And the secret is this, God can do through you whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, and he wants us simply to depend on him. Now, this is the take-home message from today's uh, uh, preaching. There is no limit to what God can do through you if you depend entirely on him. There's no limit to what God can do through you if you depend entirely on him Now, you know, I'm taking characters from the Old Testament and uh, looking at the manifestation of spiritual gifts through Old Testament saints. Now, in a way, the term "spiritual gifts" doesn't really come into its own until post Pentecost and and the early church, the spiritual gifts. But we know that w- remarkable things happened through God's people in the Old Testament and through Jesus, of course, in the Gospels before the day of Pentecost. One of the reasons I choose Old Testament characters to have a look at is because we get some narrative. We get an idea of their life. We get the idea of Moses, for example, of how Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking that he was something. Uh, The next 40 years of his life, Realizing he was nothing. And then the final 40 years of his life, seeing what God can do with a nothing, with a nobody. And uh, so we find that Moses tried in his own strength and failed. And then he ran away from God, ran away from his calling, ran away from his destiny until God calls him back. And we're going to have a look in Exodus 3 of of that story. And as you read this, I want you to think in your own life. When was it that you entertained a dream, a vision, an ambition, a desire to do something big and, and strong and good and for God, and, and maybe you really believed that God was in it, and but you weren't patient enough for God to work it out in his own way, his own timing. And you rushed out, just like Moses did, not that you killed an Egyptian, which is what, which is what happened to him, no, 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 but you still fell flat on your face many years ago I was sitting way back there, near the back of the church as as a young believer, 1972, yes there was life on the planet back then, and um, as a young believer, 18 years of age and God was calling me to serve Him and I was getting visions and dreams and massive things, I said God, I'm ready. You're calling me. I'm ready. I went out of the church and said, that's it. I went and resigned from my training. I was training as a dancer and presented myself before the director of the Royal Ballet School and, and told him that God had called me. I'm leaving my pumps and my tights and I'm going off to serve God. And Anyway, cut a long story short. Within a matter of weeks, I was back again asking for my place back in the school. I rushed ahead of God. But then the time came. Three years later, in fact. When God put his hand on my life and the doors opened and and I began to see the beginnings of the dream, the fulfillment of the dreams that that God had given me. So that's the kind of background. And here, God is rehabilitating Moses' call and it's amazing. Let's read it. A long reading. uh, Chapter 3 of Exodus, verses 1 to 15. All right, here we go. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. Why, the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians And to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites. The Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh. That you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. When we look at the remarkable workings of God through his servants in the Old Testament, and if we are allowed to call them the gifts of the spirits, anachronistic as I said, but these abilities seem to divide into three categories. There are the manifestations, the gifts of revelation. For example, prophetic insight, prophetic understanding. Last time we looked at Abraham and saw that he was a prophet carrying revelation. We might think more particularly of Samuel the prophet or Isaiah, gifts of revelation, prophetic insight. Then there are gifts of wisdom, Sometimes it works out slowly in a man's life like Jacob who had to learn the ways of God and develop wisdom through the hard knocks of life. Or Solomon who prayed to God and said, God, I I, I want this one thing from you. Give me a wise and understanding heart that I may govern your people. And he got it. Daniel with wisdom to interpret strange signs and dreams and, and symbols and seasons. Nehemiah had the wisdom to go about rebuilding the wall, and Ezra, reconstructing the the people of God around the elements of the law, wisdom, revelation, wisdom, and power. This is where Moses comes in. This is the ability to do extraordinary things. Think of Samson. When the Spirit of God came upon Samson, he received extraordinary strength. Or Elijah to do extraordinary miracles. And Elisha, extraordinary power. And of course, Moses. He was given ability to do unusual signs and wonders and miracles. When we look at Moses' life from the very beginning, this call all the way through to those nine plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, and then following on, all the miracles that happened in the wilderness, an extraordinary burst of miraculous power extraordinary, high level. So we're talking about the right person today when we want to know what is God's purpose for signs and wonders. And the first thing we notice is that signs and wonders are given in part to reveal the name of God. To reveal the name of God. And uh, you may not follow the reasoning so directly, and unless you understand a little bit about the culture. Back in the day, um, a name was not just a label. It's like the kind of Nigerians of today. They have great long long names, Olu, Tum, bo, and all the rest of it. And you just say, what does that mean? And they say, this means God loves me, this means God loves you, this means God loves everybody, this means I'm a gift of God, this means... And you go on and on. And... Um, and that happens with some, some other cultures. But back in the day, a name was not just a label, it was a revelation. And sometimes it was a faith revelation, it was description of a character, a destiny, a purpose. So when Moses anticipates that the elders of Israel will ask Moses, you say, God appeared to you? Well, what's his name? It wasn't about giving a label. It wasn't about what do we call him? It was much more a revelation of what God was going to do for them. So a revelation of the name is about God's activity. Not just the label. God's activity. God's promise. What is he going to do for us? That's what the name means. Or at least this question. What revelation of God you bring. Let me ask you this question. I ask it frequently of my primary 12 leaders. As you go out... Serving God, what do you carry? What revelation do you carry? How has God spoken to you? How has God used you? How does God demonstrate who he is through your life? Because that's unique to you. I want to ask you the same question. As you go into the busyness of a Monday to Friday, nine to five program of work, what do you carry of God into the working week? I hope that today you'll receive something fresh that will carry you, not just that you'll do your work more efficiently and effectively and give God glory in that way, but people will look at you and say, hmm, what were you doing over the weekend? You look like you've been on holiday. Yes, I was in a holy day. Oh no, okay. Well, you, you, revelation of God. So, now here's the answer. God says, tell them I am has sent you. I am. And we know this is the, this is the word where, where, which we understand to be Yahweh. Originally, this word, uh, this name uh, is in four letters. Y, H, W, H. Four consonants and vowels are placed there later. And we, we think it sounded like Yahweh. And uh, it was a very, very holy name. And still is, even now today, Jews will not like you to say that. They'll never say it. And back in the day, when they are reading out Holy Scripture, and they came across the name Yahweh, by the way, in our Bibles, it's, it's translated Lord in capital letters. And I think we should get back and write Yahweh back there. I think that's, think that's great. And so back in the day, they had a pointing system, and they would use the vowels from the name Adonai. And put it next to these four consonants to remind the reader that they should not pronounce Yahweh, but say the name Adonai instead. Because the name Yahweh is too holy. And so sometime somebody got together and kind of mixed it up a little bit and and took the vowels from Adonai into this four uh, consonants. And came up not with Yahweh, but they put the vowels from Adonai, Yahweh, which is where we get Jehovah from. So this is no controversy. The, the name is Yahweh, and, and, and often we use the word Jehovah, but that's where it comes from. But far more important than this is what this name means. It is connected to the Hebrew verb to be, Hebrew verb haya, Haya. Uh, the Hebrew verb, to be. And, but it's not just talking about a being in self-existence. It, it, it's, it's talking about a being in action. And that's how we know the Bible. So that's how we know the God of the Bible. Some people say the Bible started in the beginning, God. No, 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 no. The Bible starts in the beginning, God created. And because God created, we find out who he is and what he's like. We find out who he is, what he's like, by what he does. So this is to be in action. So that's what the verb really means, to be in action. So when they said, what's his name? They were really asking him, Moses, what did God tell you that he was going to do for us? That's the real meaning. And of course, that's where the good news comes in. Moses could say, he is the God of the, of the fathers. He has remembered his covenant. And he has come down to rescue us out of Egypt, to set us free and to take us onto into a new land. A land that's flown with milk and honey. And he's going to be our God. And we're going to be his people. And it's going to be amazing. That is who he is. Bringing this right up to date, friends. When we call him Yahweh, or as we shall see, when we call him Jesus, we're coming to that, it is an acknowledgement that God promises to do whatever we need him to do at any point in our life to fulfill his purposes so that his covenant faithfulness will be confirmed. Wow! It means whatever you need, I'm here for you. I am the God who is I am. And so, in a sense, the miracles that flowed from this moment onwards were coming out of the authority of that revelation. And we're indeed a revelation of the name. And even more than that, we're a confirmation of who God is. So miracles are there to glorify the name of God, to demonstrate that He is faithful, to demonstrate that He is with us, and to demonstrate that He is active in this world in a supernatural way. So miracles are done in the name. And that brings us right into the New Testament. Didn't Jesus say? These signs shall follow those that believe in my name. They will do. Cast out demons, lay hands on the sick. And when we, when we perform miracles, we, we don't do it in our own name or our own authority. We rest in the name and the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And when we say in the name of Jesus, it goes right back to the revelation of the divine name, because Jesus is Jehovah had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come around. And they said, oh, we want to talk to you. I said, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? Say, yes, we are. So am I. Oh, are you? Yes, I have the witness in my heart given to me by, by Jehovah that Jesus is God. Oh, oh, oh. Didn't like that. But there's some proof. If you think about um, John 8, verse 58... A very strong statement. Jesus used the divine name, I am, in Greek ego ami, I am. He used that self-consciously to identify himself with the person of God. That would be blasphemy or idiocy if it wasn't true. But it is true, therefore it's divine revelation. This is what he says. Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow, that's powerful. How about Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11? The name above every name. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. What is the name which is above every name? Ask a Jehovah's Witness, they'll have to tell you the truth. what, What name is above every... They won't want to say it. What name is above every other name? Why? It's the name Yahweh. It's the name Jehovah. And God has given him this name, which is above every other name. In other words, that at the name of Jesus, who is Jehovah, every knee shall bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. Do you think that anybody would have any right to bow the knee other than bowing the knee before God himself? And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So today when miracles happen in the name of Jesus it's glorifying God the Father revealing today that Jesus Christ is Lord. I remember when I was uh, uh, led a group of intercessors from our Bible school way back in the very early 1990s that's when was uh, the same year when Germany won World Cup. So tell me what year it was back in that day. 19 what? That's what I said, 1990. <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and uh, we were interceding for, for Rana Bonke, and he had a, had a gospel evangelistic campaign in R- Rwanda in the city of Kigali. And the opening night was powerful. I remember seeing a miracle that night. A woman had what it looked like to be an ulcer, ulcer in her foot, border, a hole. It hadn't, hadn't, sealed, hadn't, hadn't healed a hole. You, you could stick your finger in it. Not that you'd want to, but there it was. And, and the hole closed up. New pink flesh. I don't know why the rest of the skin was black. Of course, she's from um, Rwanda. But the skin there was new, fresh, pink skin underneath. It was a freshly healed, f- 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 freshly closed up wound. It was wonderful. And uh, everybody saw it They were testified to it. Next day, uh, we call a taxi to get to the crusade ground and we're talking to the taxi driver. I said, were you at the crusade last night? Yes. What did you think of it? Not much. What? Didn't you see the miracles? Oh, no, no, not enough miracles. So I said, what do you mean not enough miracles? How many is enough? I tell you, if Jesus does one miracle today, it's proof he's alive. If he did a miracle yesterday, it's proof that he's alive. You don't have to have thousands of miracles before you believe that God is alive. When Jesus does it, it proves he's alive. Just one miracle. And that one miracle is hope for everybody. One miracle, one marriage healed is hope for all marriages. One body healed is hope for all bodies. doesn't mean to say that every person is going to get healed in this existence. uh, some, Some things we can't explain, but we do know that a miracle today points to the resurrection that is coming in the future. Where not only will everybody be healed, nobody will even get sick. There will be so much healing that sickness itself will be banished from the new heavens and the new earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, this is the name above every name. and, And when miracles are done, they reveal the name of Jesus and they reveal the name of God. By the way, this reminds us that miracles are for today. Because if a miracle attests to Jesus, then it's not time sensitive. It wasn't just that Jesus did miracles in the Gospels to prove he was the Son of God, or that the apostles did miracles to prove that they were true apostles. There were many people who weren't even apostles, who had nothing to do with writing Scripture, nothing to do with carrying prophetic or, or infallible revelation, and that they, they, they did miracles. And, and the Spirit of God who lives in us, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday and today and forever. A miracle today proves the same thing that it always did. That God loves you, that the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is already here, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's not even just to prove a point. When God does a miracle, He does it because He wants to manifest His favor, His love, and His grace, His compassion upon his covenant people. Hallelujah. So, the miracles that flowed from this point were miracles that were part of the revelation of the divine name. Secondly, looking at the purpose of miracles, miracles are given to confirm God's word. Miracles attest to the messenger. And I've done a little look at this afresh this week and been surprised to remind myself that the signs and wonders that are done by people are all there to point to Jesus. You might say, well, that's obvious, but a lot of people say miracles are only given to the apostles because they were apostles, and then uh, when Scripture is here, we don't need those apostles anymore, and we don't need miracles. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that the apostles had to do a miracle to prove that they were apostles and capable of writing Scripture. There were people who wrote Scripture that, as far as we know, never did a miracle, Uh, and uh, and there were apostles, as far as we know, who, who never wrote Scripture, who did miracles. So it's not about that. Truly speaking, miracles attest to Christ. They are there to point to Him. And I like that, because the moment we think, look, if I do a mighty miracle, I'm a mighty man of God. No, you're not. We know some pretty unmighty people, some pretty weird people, and God uses them anyway. God seems to delight to take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. Even Moses, this wasn't his holiness. This was his failure that opened the door to miracles. The apostles, when people were marveling at what they did, Remember Peter and John, when when that man was healed, the the, the man who'd been lame from birth, crippled from birth, 40 years of age, and they were gawking at at Peter and John. And, and, And they said, why are you looking at us? Do you think we did this? As a sign of our power or godliness? No, this is done by only one means. And that is by the means of the name of Jesus. And there is no other name other than the name of Jesus given whereby we must be saved. I mean, today we might say, okay, excuse me, all right. The photographers who are seated here... Go and sit there because this is my best side while I humbly tell you about the miracles, the mighty miracles that God has done through this mighty man of God. Uh. (laughs) They're not there to boost you or even to make you look good. They are there to point to Jesus. And we know it does. Remember Nicodemus? He came to Jesus by night and said, we know that you must be from God. Nobody can do what you do unless God was with him. See, the signs and wonders were pointing to who he was. And the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, verse 22, Peter puts it like this. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did, through him in your midst. So today, signs and wonders done in the name of Jesus don't point to us. They point to him. Miracles do, however, encourage the messenger, and we're coming back to that. But more importantly, miracles confirm the message. And this is a New Testament thought as well. Mark 16, verse 20 says, And they went out and preached everywhere... The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Hebrews 2, verses 3 to 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness to what? to the gospel message, to the word, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Jesus himself said in John 10, 37 and 38, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. See, Jesus knew that signs and wonders to those who are truly seeking God Point to his true identity, point to his ministry, point to his authority to forgive sins, his authority to declare his messiahship and his kingdom. Jesus knew that, so he says, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, what I say, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Nobody but Yahweh in the flesh could say that, or should say that. We could never say that. We could never say the works that I do. They testify to who I am in the Father. No, 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 no. We must say, and we've seen miracles, undeniable miracles all over the world, but every single time it's all about Jesus, not about us. Hallelujah. And anyway, the message is paramount. It's not even the miracles. I'm not saying the message cannot be received without a miracle. When you start thinking like that, you're in big trouble. Just as when you think, you know, miracles kind of confirm that my teaching is right. And this happens. Be very careful when you read Christian books which are based on miraculous testimony in some way trying to prove that the rest of the teaching in the book is from God. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, just because somebody works a miracle, it doesn't mean to say, A, that they're a man of God or a woman of God, because the devil does miracles. You've got to discern that. Secondly, it doesn't mean that because a man or woman does a miracle, that what they're teaching is correct. And thirdly, just because they do a miracle, it doesn't mean to say that it's a vindication of their lifestyle. Because a lot of people say, God is with me, all the miracles are happening, and God is using me, therefore, He's saying your life is okay. And you look at their life and you think it's not okay. No, no, no. The Word of God is the only test. So it can't be a circular argument. Miracles confirm the word, and the word confirms miracles. So that's, that's a circular argument. No, no, no. It's the word spoken with authority, and the word carries the full authority of God, and it is to be, be believed with or without a miracle. But when, if, a, if a miracle comes, it's a Confirmation. And don't forget, miracles are hardly ever without controversy. I remember a man who was a neurologist. And he had a problem with his nerve and a paralysis on this side of his face. And God healed him totally. Well, 99% totally. Because there was just a little trace that there had been something wrong. Just a little trace that there had been something wrong. And, and at times, you see, God will give you an excuse not to believe. Let me tell you of a miracle, then I'll give you an excuse not to believe. But if you want to believe and you hear from God, that's fine. But let me show you how this works. Okay. Okay. We're preaching in Brazil and it's going out all over the radio and God heals a woman listening on the radio from a poor district, a favela, never been to the dentist. Her teeth had been rotten and she came into the meeting, left her home, came into the meeting, got onto the platform and said, I've had a miracle and she opened her mouth. When I looked into this woman's mouth I felt like the apostle John outside the tomb of Jesus I saw and I believed what did I see I saw new fresh teeth no 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 no. you don't understand you you might say you've got perfect teeth here all right if you got perfect teeth? I won't answer that because they may not be yours. I don't know. but No, no, no. I don't, I, I don't. So, you know, there's all kinds of dentistry. Yeah, yeah. They could be capped and crowned and all this kind of stuff. All right, all right. I didn't mean false teeth. I mean like, you know, never mind. Okay. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Uh, but even if your teeth are in perfect condition as a young person, never had a feeling in your life, never had any corrosion in your life, I'd look at your teeth and they would look 21 years old. Or 20 years old. Okay, why? Because they shape around your activity, eating. This woman's teeth were new, never had been used. Now, (laughs) do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, so already now, I'm introducing some elements so that you can walk away and say (laughs) You know why? I saw it, you didn't. There's your first element of doubt. Is Colin exaggerating? We know he exaggerates. So is he exaggerating? He wouldn't lie to us, but is he exaggerating? As Amanda said to me, I told you a thousand times, stop exaggerating. (laughs) And the other thing is, you say, well, how would you know? You already probably had this thought. He's talking as if he knows what he's talking about. He's not even a dentist. How would he know what new teeth look like? So you've got to doubt my testimony, doubt my interpretation of the facts, doubt my knowledge and my qualification to make those statements. Carry on doubting. I was there. I saw it. And I give God all the glory. You give God glory as well. Even Jesus, who ministered in perfection, you and I never do, He did, wherever he went, he did some of his greatest miracles in Galilee, in in Bethsaida, Chorazin, and it says they didn't repent. And Jesus came back from that preaching campaign where he did his mightiest miracles and he said, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, for even so it seemed good in your sight." being right there in the very presence of Jesus' miracles and not being convinced by them. I remember I went from Brazil to Uruguay and uh, the man who was my translator from English to Spanish was a conservative, evangelical, charismatic, hating, cessationist. Miracles are over, he said. But I'm going to interpret you anyway. So I said, well, that's okay, just, just interpret what I say. Don't worry about that. You know, it takes all sorts, don't worry about that. No, 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 he said, you don't understand. I've seen your videos and they're not very convincing. Shall we go and preach now? I went out there and I thought, oh, Father, let's just, just forget it, just forget it. And um, there was a young boy, is Amanda here, she will remember with, with cerebral palsy, certainly had pro- problems walking in his legs. Amanda was with me. And um, as we prayed, I'm not saying that I was the one that prayed, but whoever, as we prayed, the boy's legs began to get stronger. And instead of walking in a very, very faulting way, he began to walk in a slightly better way until he was walking quite well. But there's no way you could just put him up on the platform and say, dance around, run around, and, uh, because the miracle was gradual progress. So I just stopped. I said to my interpreter, you see that? He said, talk to the father. What's happened? The Tears. He hasn't been able to do this ever. It's amazing. The mum, the dad were crying. I was crying. Amanda was crying. And the man was amazed. I said, can you see, however, that it doesn't look convincing? You've got to be there. You've got to see the whole story. And something else that had to be convincing, a man came forward and collapsed. Amanda, who was a former nurse, said, you better pray. I said, well, I'm gonna pray. No, you better pray now. What's the matter? This guy's, his guy's got an asthma attack. His lips are blue. He's gonna die. You better pray now. The platform was very high. I leaped off the platform. I was younger in those days, landed gently on my feet like a good ballet dancer should, and I prayed, and the boy was immediately released. So okay, let me throw some doubt. No, let me throw some doubt on that. Was it a real asthma attack? Did he have blue lipstick in his? his, uh, You know, was he pretending to hold his breath for ten minutes? I don't know. You weren't there. So at the end of the day, your faith cannot ultimately rest. On these things, your faith rests in the Word of God. And the Word of God carries its own authentication, authentic, authenticating process by the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. But I am preaching about miracles. Sounds like I'm preaching against them, not. I'm preaching about miracles because miracles do confirm. Can you imagine how Moses felt... When he said, you know, if I go, they're not going to believe me. God says they will, and he said they won't. Yes, he will. How? Well, I'm going to give you three signs. Throw your rod down. Your rod became a snake. He picked it up, became a rod again. Put your hand into your chest. Pull it out again. It was leprous. Ah, Put it back again. Comes out clean and take some water. Pour it, becomes blood. Do these three signs, and then they will believe that I sent you. And they did. God is very loving when He gives us an extra confirmation. But you know, I think it was more about encouraging Moses. Sometimes, when we go through life and we try hard and nothing seems to work, God always gives us enough supernatural confirmation for us to say, You're with me. That's what it's about. I want to tell you, God is with you. He's with you. We don't, we don't chase after signs and wonders as if we have to live by them. We, we walk by faith, but we are so happy when God releases miraculous manifestations in us, through us, to us, because it glorifies His name and calls people's attention. And in that wonderful way, it does validate not only the message, but in some secondary way, it validates the messengers. And so, what have we learned? We've learned that God worked unusual signs and wonders and miracles. No doubt, because it was an unusual period of history. We notice you can't push it too far, as if to say that every time there's a fresh break of revelation and God brings miracles, because there are times when there are miracles and no fresh, strong revelation. For example, Elijah and Elisha. There was no massive revelation of some some new doctrine through their life. But here, in Moses' life, these miracles were there to glorify God in the sight of the nations, to bring the gods of Egypt to, to justice and to judgment, and with a mighty outstretched hand to release God's people so it would be in their spiritual consciousness forever. They're always look back first of all to creation and then to the exodus as being the demonstrations of God's power and might. So there were special circumstances but nevertheless the role of signs and wonders carry throughout the whole of the Bible even beyond Pentecost even till the very day. They are there to reveal the glory of his name. They're there as a way of God demonstrating and showing his power. They are there for God to fulfill his covenant promises. In other words, say, I'm with you. Whatever you need, I'm there for you, for your healing, for your deliverance, for your blessing. Uh, uh, Not that we enter into a spirit of entitlement here, but we know that God loves to do that. It's also there to confirm his word. One more story. (laughs) My timer isn't working, which is the one that's that's a miracle that it's not working. God is with me, you see. <laughs> Let me just finish with this story, and, and the, the final point is to encourage his messengers, which is exactly what I'm doing to myself now to encourage myself. I remember we were in eastern Kenya in the in the sugarcane country and and in a tiny little village. And and what you have to do, if you're going to go and preach there, you've always got to go to the chief. If you go to the chief and say, chief, I'm a man of God from England and I've come to preach. Is that okay? You allow me to do that? And opens the door. Well, I didn't say that. I couldn't speak their language. I could speak some Swahili, but whatever the language was there. And uh, anyway, the man said, this is a man of God. He must have really beefed me up. This is a man of God. He is God's man of power for the hour. He comes all the way from England with a mighty anointing from God to do wonderful and miraculous things. <laughs> he must have said something like that. Because, because the chief looked at me and said, eh? And then said something. And the, uh, my interpreter said, uh-oh. Oh. I said, what's that? He said, well, if he's a man of God, get him to call all the sick and let's see. <laughs> so you can't say anything. He said, chief actually, I'm not a man of God. Uh, Goodbye. I I didn't know, and I never saw, anyway, so I said, Jesus, what are you going to do? And I realized why, why the chief asked that. It wasn't just to test me out. There were no doctors, ladies and gentlemen. And as I walked through the cane, I said, God, they have no doctors. I said, Jesus, will you be their doctor today? And he said, yes, I will. So we called all the sick, very small village, called all the sick people together. We prayed for them. God healed them. And then the the chief allowed me to preach. (laughs) Yes. I wanted to argue with the chief. said, no, chief, you must understand. The Bible says signs and wonders follow the preaching. First I got to preach. But I said, no. Jesus said he's going to be their doctor. So this shows us a whole lot about the heart of God. And as we carry on in this series, I hope you'll be encouraged. Today, be encouraged by this. Moses did it his own way, blew it. And God said, now, don't do it your way, do it my way. And then he said, to play on words, Moses said, I'm going to do it not my way, but Yahweh.